us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for that blood. We thank you, as we heard in Sunday school again, of your plan that reaches down through the generations. We thank you that we can be part of that plan. <clears throat> Excuse me. We ask your blessing on Mel today as he brings you in his heart that we can be attentive and open to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you see it? Well, good morning and Christian greetings. Welcome to everyone. It's good to be here this morning. Beautiful summer morning. Um, it's it's uh, I've been so blessed this morning already. The devotional meditation, especially that heads up screen, um, certainly a good, very something that we need to be aware of in our day. Um, this morning's message is entitled Privileges of the Believer. Uh, this one is a little bit of a, um, might I say, an easy one. You know, some of our, uh, as believers, there seems to be a lot of duties and responsibilities and disciplines that we're called upon. We're going to lay that aside for a little bit this morning. That'll come later. Maybe I'll do a sequel to this one. But there are some privileges that certainly are ours as believers. There's many. I'm going to look at a few this morning. And it's taken from 1 Peter chapter 2. So let's turn to 1 Peter 2. We'll be reading verses 4 through 10. <clears throat> 1 Peter 2, verse 4. To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the same, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Wherefore also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. <coughs> Now, if we look at the setting here, it, it seems like Peter is addressing some of these ill feelings that they had among each other. The first couple of verses right here in, 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 in this chapter, and then right after this, down to verses 11 and 12 and on down, there, there seemed to have been something going on here, um, some kind of ill feelings toward each other. Uh, remember, this was likely a mixture of Jews and Greeks and, and the blending of their two cultures and the, the struggles that came with that. And I also noticed that if you look in 1 Peter 1, his greeting, he lists several 
countries or provinces, whatever they were, the strangers that were scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia, and Bithynia. Most of these are mentioned in Pentecost, in Acts 2, as people from those areas were also at Pentecost. They were present when the Holy Spirit was given uh, to the apostles right there. So um, it's likely that could be some of these same people were personally at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given at that point in Acts chapter 2. I just thought that's an interesting side note. I noticed some of those towns or provinces look familiar, and as I checked it, sure enough, they are listed in that list of people that were represented, language groups in uh, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. So back into, the, back into this, privileges of the believer. One, one thing that we have on these couple of verses here, first I want to look at is access to God. Because he starts there right in verse 4, to whom coming, or and coming to him. You know, that word come, it means to come and stay, to abide. It means to visit, to worship. I had to wonder if I opened it up, how many come invitations could you think of that Jesus gives? There's quite a few, or scripture in general. There are a lot of imitations given in the Bible, and quite a few come directly from, from Jesus. Uh, just a few. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, Revelations twenty two seventeen. Let him that is a thirst come. Isaiah fifty five one. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, thirsteth, come. Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. That's just a portion of that verse. So there's a lot of imitations that God or Jesus himself gives us to come. And I, I suppose, I assume Peter was contrasting this with some of the old uh, pagan gods that they were dealing with. You remember in, in Acts not Acts, but 1 Kings 18. I'm going to turn to that briefly. Turn with me, if you will. 1 Kings 18 is the account when Elijah, Elijah invited these prophets of Baal to a sacrifice, and um, everything was stacked in their favor, and it was a contest between the two gods to see who would come or who would answer with fire. And uh, this was really an interesting, uh, a creative test, I might say, that Elijah presented to these uh, prophets of Baal. Uh, I'm going to be reading just verse 25 to 28 in 1 Kings 18, just for a bit of a setting. As I said, they were together, and Elijah presented this contest of the two gods, Jehovah God or Baal, who's going to win here? And the test was to build an altar and provide a sacrifice, but not start the fire. God was supposed, or Baal was supposed to start this fire and burn it up. Interesting uh, contest. But let's read verse, verse 25 in 1 Kings 18. And Elijah, said unto, and Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods. 
but put no fire under. And he took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning, even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar that was made. And it came to pass at noon, Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he is talking, or he's pursuing, or he's in a journey, or peradventure he is sleepeth, sleepeth and must be awaked. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancelets till the blood gushed out upon them. And we could read all of it. I don't think we will. But this was their God responding to their imitation. Uh, as, as you can see, if you read on further, Baal did not respond. There was no fire that Baal sent from heaven to light this sacrifice. But God did. Later on, you'll see that God performed a wonderful miracle and display of his own power and burnt up the whole offering, the stones and the water was, that was poured all around it, soaked it all up, burnt it all up. That was, I, I can imagine Peter having this in his mind as he is contrasting um, they're pagan gods with, with Jehovah God. God is a God of imitations, invites us many times, invites us with a come. Uh, contrasting that with, with these gods, uh, you remember they even cut themselves, drew blood, and it was thought that offering your own blood, as in slitting your wrists or whatever, Bleeding for your God, hurting yourself for your God, would bring a response from him. And even that didn't bring a response. So, I, 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 I can imagine Peter comparing their gods, the pagan gods, with Jehovah God. As he, uh, as he says this, and as you come to him in verse 4, we certainly have access to God. And then he also mentions the priesthood. And I'd like to look a little bit at that and again, compare the Old Testament priesthood and the access that they had compared to us as priests today. Um, it says in, there in, in verse 5, it uh, speaks of us as being a holy priesthood. Now, um, if you go back to the Old Testament and do some study on the priests and what they were to do, uh, you'll remember they had a very limited access to God. They were, they were to come at a very specific time, once a year, with the required offering, wearing a specific garment. They had their dress code that they were to wear for a specific purpose. And the, the high priest was the only one who was granted this privilege. And I like to compare that, some of the, the, uh, the ten things that were required from the priest, the high priest, that has now been granted to us as a holy priesthood. Remember back to the Old Testament priest. A priest was chosen by God. To begin with, he had to be from a certain tribe, the tribe of Levi. Um, kings were not priests. The one king that did try it, 
paid a severe penalty for that. A priest was chosen by God. A priest is cleansed from sin. A priest was anointed for service. This was quite a ceremony that they went through where he was anointed for this service. A priest was clothed for service. As I, as I said, he had a specific dress code, garments and things that he was supposed to wear as he served. He was prepared for service. There were some specific washings and bathings and their clothes had to be washed and there was a lot of preparations that went into that. He was ordained to obedience. He had a high regard for the word of God. He had to walk with God. The priest had an impact on sinners. And number 10, the priest was the messenger of God. <clears throat> That's how God spoke through the people. They would, God would relay his message to the priest and that to the people. And as, you, as I went down this list, can you identify it with this? I hope you can, because as uh, I'm making comparison between the, the Old Testament priesthood and our priesthood, how different it is. We no longer have a limited access once a year for a specific occasion on a particular date of the calendar. This is not, we're not limited to that anymore. We have full access to that to, to God through Jesus Christ any time of the day or night. And so a lot of these other things too, um, uh, well, a lot of them, all of them apply to us as well. We are now a holy priesthood with full access to God as we come to him. The next one, I'd like to look at the next one as union with Christ. Verse 5, he starts, ye also as lively stones. Also referring to Jesus. And I might have to go back to verse 3. And this is a continuation of the beginning of the chapter. It says, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is what this is referring to the Lord. Ye also as the Lord or as Jesus Christ. Living stones. And this is speaking of, of, of Jesus Christ himself. He makes reference to us being a spiritual house. And I had to, uh, I'm always kind of impressed with this thought when he refers to um, the, the church as a house or a building of some sort. And there's, there's different analogies that, that are used. Um, even though we see, as I mentioned earlier, five different groups of people there in the first chapter, chapter one, mentioned here, they're all part of this spiritual house that is being built. God's people are a very diverse group of people from all walks of life. You know, prior to Calvary, it was pretty much limited to the Jews. Um, Gentiles, they had some access, but not full access. Uh, those that were handicapped, uh, they had a very limited access. It was very regulated and very... Um, exclusive, I might say. And after 
the resurrection. Of course, that was, well, I guess more so after Pentecost. That was opened up to all people. And uh, so now we have the doors open to uh, all people from all walks of life to come to Christ. We now have union with Christ, and not only through your heritage or your pedigree or your, your descendants, but all walks of life. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave his disciples specific instructions to go to every tribe and nation, and referring to that as the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'm not quite sure what that meant to them, uh, I can imagine the known world was quite small back then compared to what we have it. But Jesus said to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, union with Christ is not only to us as individuals, but also collectively as a group. Uh, Jesus, in his very first mention of the church, he said, I will build my church. Um, and as we know, the church is, is made up of many individuals. And when I think of that, I'm thinking beyond the walls of Crystal Valley here. Jesus promised to build his church throughout the whole world. Union with Christ for all, not nearly as limited as it was in, in uh, the Old Testament days. We now have uh, access and full, uh, full access and union with Christ. I also want to think of Jesus as the living stone as we think a little more on that. That's an interesting thought taken from verses 4 and 5 right here. Um, ye also, verse 5, as, as, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. What is a living stone? I don't know if we have any masons in here, but stones don't seem to have much life. Um, a stone is just a piece of earth, I guess. It comes from the earth. But when you think of what is a living stone, how does a stone become alive? It calls Jesus a living stone, of course, us as well. Jesus was raised from the dead in victory. And this stone is alive, and all who come to him will live. Uh, Isaiah 28.16 calls him a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And I like that. I like that thought. And we'll get into that a little bit more. The foundation or the cornerstone. It also said he was chosen by God but rejected of men. And we're just going through that in our Sunday school right now. God chose him. And that word chosen means select choice, or the best of its kind, or excellent. He was chosen by man, but rejected by God. This is a little bit on the same theme of our Sunday school, but turn with me to John chapter 8, and we have that dialogue that Jesus had with the Jewish leaders at that day, and uh, it's, a, it's a big long chapter, and it pretty much covers a whole, that, that conversation that they had with Jesus disputing him, who he was, and some of the claims that he made, they were trying to refute them, um, claiming as, as he claimed to be the Son of God, or God being his Father, 
Uh, but just in, in chapter 8, verse 25 of John, it's kind of a sad verse when you think of this. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? Who art thou? Here was Jesus with them. How many years? 33 years. And they ask, Who art thou? Really? Um, that's kind of a sad question. But this is, uh, this is those that Peter is speaking of. He was rejected by men. Having been chosen by God, he was choice. He was the best of this kind. He was excellent. The Jewish leaders ask, who are you? Really? And Jesus goes on to explain that several times. They were hanging on to their heritage down in chapter, verse 33, that same chapter, claiming to be Abraham's seed, which they were. They were descendants from Abraham way back. And so that was their ticket to heaven, so they thought. And they asked Jesus, who are you? It, it, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a sad, sad thought when you think about them being the Jewish leaders. And of course, we see that fulfilled in our Sunday school, uh, still not knowing who he is or not willing to accept. Uh, I suspect they may have known, but weren't quite willing to accept it. Can you imagine? We just talked about that in our Sunday school class. All the things that he did, the miracles that he performed. How could Judas not get it? How did he miss it? How could he not understand that truly this was the Son of God? He had, Judas certainly had witnessed a lot of miracles. Um, I don't know if he was there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't know if he was there, probably was there when they fed the 5,000. How could he miss it? Um, just like these, like these people did here. They were not willing to accept a change in their thinking. Okay, going back to that, that cornerstone. We said he is precious. He was um, certainly, um, yeah, it says he was precious. Held in highest honor, prized, valuable, irreplaceable. Jesus was God's only begotten son. He certainly was irreplaceable. There was no substitute for Jesus Christ. He was the one. Something that's precious means it's rare. That's what makes something valuable. That's what makes it precious. But thinking back to that cornerstone, the cornerstone would set the standard for the rest of the building. You would set the cornerstone, if this was a building, start on one corner, Everything goes from there. This is square off of there. This is square off of here. These lines are parallel to here. The cornerstone does set the whole building. And in, in their day, there was not a lot of cutting and chiseling and sawing on the job site. They were prepped off site and brought in and set. And for the most part, they fit. So it probably even set the vertical corner line. Jesus was the cornerstone of that. And I, I like that thought here that um, Peter gives later on about those that stumbled over it. I don't know if this is a legend or if this is actually a fact, but the, 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 the thought comes out that this cornerstone that they all stumbled over and tripped over. Have you ever been to a stone site? You know, there's probably all kinds of rocks that you're always tripping over and 
kicking them aside. And this, this stone, allegedly, was moved around, shuffled around, got in the way, tripped over, stumbled over, and finally someone looked at it and decided, hey, let's use this one. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like that thought. And uh, that's sort of what Peter's bringing out here. The, the stone that they stumbled over became the head of the corner. <clears throat> and that's exactly what, what Jesus was. He was rejected by men. I guess, oh, Psalm 118 brings out the stone which the builders refused has become the, the head of the corner. You know, Jesus was not the, 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 the kind of Messiah that they were looking for. Didn't quite fit their agenda, and so he was rejected by men. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what they were looking for. We got a little bit of a discussion of that in, in Sunday school this morning. Uh, I, I suppose if if Jesus would have come under them as whatever their hierarchical leadership was, if Jesus would have come under them and complied to what they had to offer. Maybe he'd have had a better chance of being accepted by then. But that wasn't God's plan. That's, that's, that's a moot point as far as I'm concerned. But uh, Jesus was the one that was um, the cornerstone chosen and ordained by God. He was prized. He was valuable. He was replaceable. And he was rare. And that's what made him precious. <clears throat> and so um, this is the building that we as believers are all a part of. As we, as we think of, of that, remember too that um, even though Jesus didn't fit their mold in John 8, um, he was certainly chosen by God and um, called to, to, to fill that role. Jesus, a living stone. Moving back on to the, some of the privileges, one of them, another one that I see here is security in our Lord. Beginning here in verse, verse 6 and then down to the next couple, couple of verses. Security, we see that. And these are, all, these are all things that we certainly long for, look for, need. Security, I know, he that believeth in him will not be confounded. And that word means a different translation, use a better word, but it would mean to be ashamed or disgraced, to blush with shame, or one who is hopeful and was deceived. You've probably all experienced that. You were really hopeful that something would happen. Maybe it would rain last night, and it didn't. Uh, that might be a, a poor example, but something that you really had a lot of hope for and were deceived, not just something that didn't happen, but you were lied to, you were deceived. That's the thought that we have here. A person that believes on him will not be disappointed, will not be ashamed, will not blush with shame, and will not be deceived. I also like that thought, we are chosen of God. You know, um, when I look at that, that word, um, it's the same word that we have used there in verse 4 of Jesus. It says, To whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God. That is that same word that's used here by us. The same word that he used to describe Jesus as being chosen by God. Also, we too 
are chosen by God. God didn't choose us um, for any special reason except that he loved us. John 15, 16, this is um, Jesus speaking to his disciples. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. God chose us just like he chose Jesus. I like that. I like that thought. Going on down into the verse 9, a couple of those phrases, it says we are a royal priesthood. Royal. I, that word caught my eye. You know, this is the only time that Greek word is used in Scripture. It is the only place you'll find it used right here. Royal. It means kingly. It means regal. It means something like that we would, uh, uh, it would come from the meaning of a, um, a leader, a commander, if you will, or a king. We are a royal priesthood. Not only are we a priesthood, full access to God, unlike the Old Testament with a very limited, but full access, royal priesthood. We're also a holy nation. Now, this, this word nation has a thought of a multitude of individuals, a lot of people, a tribe, or a troop. You know, we have been set apart to belong exclusively to God. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I know we hear that and we preach that all the time, but uh, that's a little bit hard to accept sometimes when, with what you see going on in the world, political world. We are here, but not part of it. Let's be aware of that and uh, be mindful of that. We are citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, and we are seeking a country beyond, beyond this one. We're also called out of darkness. <clears throat> and this darkness has the idea of ignorance or blindness because of ignorance. And of course, along with that is the accompanying ungodliness and immorality, uncertainty and misery. We're called out of darkness. Uh, uncertainty, misery, ignorance. Those are some of the things that, that uh, well, when you think back to the past two years, when, when this pandemic first struck, there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of things that were unknown. And it really did cause you to be a little bit fearful. But as things become known, we sort of come out of that darkness. We now have more knowledge. There's not that blind ignorance, but there's more knowledge. I guess that's what I, that's what I can think of this. We are called out of darkness. We are called out of that misery, out of that blindness, out of the ignorance that was uh, a part of our life before. Another one, we have obtained mercy. We are God's chosen people only because of his mercy toward us. And um, were it not for his mercy, we would be lost in our way to eternal judgment. And I, I, uh, we discussed mercy in our Sunday school this morning. Compare Peter with Judas. Peter accepted God's grace and his mercy. Judas declined it. 
Judas would have, could have accepted it, could have obtained God's mercy, chose not to. Peter, yes, he also denied his Lord three times. Not only once, but three times. And he saw where this thing was going. And it says he went out and wept bitterly. I'd like to think that was the beginning of his, his, his repentance. Um, I don't know if Judas wept because of that. But we see in our lesson what happened to him today. It was, it was just out of control. It was beyond him. Things were not working out the way he had planned. And he committed suicide. The difference between Peter and Judas, or Peter's, Peter accepting the, the mercy, Judas couldn't. He didn't. He wouldn't. So I, I think certainly we as believers truly do have some privileges that, our, that are ours to claim. And if we think about that, certainly is a, uh, a, a great encouragement for us today. There's... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there might be a sequel to this in the near future. We might get into some of the more the duties, the responsibilities, and the disciplines. But uh, I'd like us to dwell a little bit more on the on the privileges that our that are ours as we um, continue on our journey of life here in this world. Thank you for your thoughts, and I'm gonna. Uh, I guess at this time we'll stand for a closing song, Ken, and then I'll lead in dismissal prayer. <laughs>